You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour one of this program is brought to you by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. They're open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit them online at johnstones.com. To the phone lines we go. Joined by, as mentioned, Elliot Friedman. Friedge here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Elliot. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? We're well. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to do this and for volunteering to come on the Halford & Brough Show on a Monday, which we really, truly appreciate. We thought it might be some sort of trap. Yeah. Like, I'm just looking to get the, you know, it's like business before pleasure. You want to get the crap out of your week done first. So you I understand that. the rest of your week. Yeah. yeah. Not even offended. Um, Fridge. Uh, <laughs> so what, what, where are you now? Are you back from Europe? Yes. I'm actually just uh, driving towards the sprawling Rogers campus. I have a couple of things I have to do there today. Okay. Um, so your conversation with PD, I guess we can get into the the rest of the conversation but i think the big question i have is how much of pd's decision to sign or not sign with the canucks is going to hinge on how the team fares this season i i would say a lot of it um almost all of it um you know, Jason, is it? I've been thinking about. Is it okay to share with the question you asked me by text? Because I was thinking about that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Preparation. So okay. my question so, was, how much of it is a yeah. negotiating ploy versus how much is it hinging on the team this season? See, I don't think it's a negotiating ploy at all. Uh, I, I think that's got basically nothing to do with it. I, I have no reason to believe, like. I think the Vancouver Canucks know that Pedersen is going to be very highly paid. And I, and I think that they are more than understanding that it's going to take a, a big deal to get them done. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that they're like, I don't think there's any reticence from the Vancouver Canucks to sign him whatsoever. So I don't think that that is any part of the equation. And I don't think that any of this is like, I think in Nylander's case, there is definitely a gap and that's a problem. You've got to figure out a way to bridge the gap. I don't think that's the case with Pedersen. And one of the reasons is, as everybody in Vancouver knows is that he's not a UFA after this year. It's not as urgent in that way. There is time to figure this out as Pedersen said in the interview he's not sure yet if he sees his next contract is a long-term or a short-term one he hasn't even gotten there really this is all about how does he feel about the organization so like everything the organization's done to try to straighten things out and get them into a position to win 
I think that he wants to make sure it's going to work. Now, I, I think it's important to note here that um, I didn't get any sense at all that he thinks that the plan is terrible. I didn't get any sense at all that he thinks that the people running the Canucks or coaching the Canucks don't know what they're doing. I just think he wants to make sure. And I think it's important to point out too, that um, he knows that part of the Canucks having a successful season is him duplicating or exceeding the year he had last year. And um, he's very serious about it. Uh, we, like, like I said in the, in the podcast uh, on the boat trip, like he brought a lunch um, and it's a lunch that was prepared for him by a chef. And, you know, he's, he's stronger. Um, you know, he talked about how he looked two years ago and how he looks now. And he's still, still really lean. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, an angry Bruce Banner. But he <laughs> understands that there are things he can do to make himself more powerful. And he's committed to that. So, Jason, I do not believe this is a negotiation tactic. I think this is purely about does he think, does he see the plan come to some degree of fruition this year? Well, the reason I wanted to ask you this question was really just confirmation on what we were saying. We did get a bit of pushback from that, saying like, oh, this is just you media guys trying to create a narrative for the season. The Canucks are already going to be under pressure in their first five or ten games to you know, not bury themselves like they've done the previous two seasons. And what, now you're going to put Pedersen's future on top of that too? And my response was, yeah, we are. Because it's a big season huh. for the Canucks, right? Um, what... How would you describe Petey's personality? Because you, you've spoken with him in person a few times. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, the one thing I think about him is, is that I think he really tries to be careful. Um, you know, I, I think he's, you know, we talked a little bit about this. And I think the piece is going to air. Don't quote me on this. So it's probably bad I'm saying this on the radio. But I think it's airing opening night. Okay. I think that's when the piece is going to air. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting. We talked about, and he talked about how, you know, Talkett has said he doesn't like talking in front of the group or he prefers to be quiet. I don't think he has any problem with that description. I think that he's careful. He He's really... You know, I think the one thing to understand the most about what he said to me, he doesn't think it's a big deal. Like the fact that he said he wants to wait to see how the season goes. I know everybody in Vancouver worries about it, the fans I'm talking about, but he doesn't think it's a big deal. He thinks it's perfectly reasonable and perfectly normal, and he doesn't, he doesn't think people should get bent out of shape by it. You know, one of the things we talked about is, like I said, he understands why Talkett said what he did and feels what he does, and he is going to try and move a little bit in that direction, but he's never going to be like, you know, like he, he's never going to be like, you know, think of your favorite movie character who delivers a big speech, <laughs> whether it's Tom Cruise, yeah. you can't handle the truth. Yeah. Like he's never going to be that guy. And, and he wants people to understand that, 
but I think he's very comfortable in his own skin. He is demanding of himself. He expects a lot of himself, and he thinks, I get the impression that he thinks true leadership is not what you say, it's what you do. And that's who he is. That that was Jack Nicholson that delivered that line. Just, just oh the, right, just sorry. The, just, Jack, just, yeah, just, just hey, just for the record, we we, we focus on the important stuff here. Uh, Fridge, can I ask you? Did he use the line? I don't want to create a headline for you because he's famous for that with us. No, he. I don't think he did. Off the top <laughs> of my head, I don't remember. Like he, uh, off the top of my head, I don't think he said that. But um, you know, like he did say. But he knew, like, he understands. He understands the market. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he really does. And uh, that's why, you know, one of the things we talked about was he didn't want to answer. He, he didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about his contract. He didn't want to say things that really inflame the situation. He's careful. He's he's really careful. And uh, But I also, like I said, I also think, that he doesn't, and I can't repeat this enough, he doesn't think it's as big a deal as other people do what he says. Do you think he's gotten comfortable with the fact that regardless of what he thinks or what he wants and, you know, he, he doesn't think people should make a big deal out of it and he, I don't think, wants it, um, do you think he's gotten comfortable with the fact that it's going to happen anyway? Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if I'd say I think he's gotten comfortable with it, but I think he realizes it. Yeah. You know, you know, wh- one of the things, Jason, I, I really feel is, and again, this came through in the conversation is, I don't think he's crazy about all of, like, like I said, I don't think he's crazy about the way that his words get parsed and examined. But what I think he does love is the passion of when he has a great game or when the building is on fire in a good way, he loves that. Like we talked about some of his games where, you know, the fans start to go crazy and the building is alive and like they're embracing him in that moment. And he truly loves it. Like, you know, like, like I always think about, you know, they're, they're like from a personality point of view, I could understand why people think he'd like something quieter because he's just not that out there a guy. Um, but from a, a a reward, like the risk, I always say the playing in the Canadian market, the spotlight is hard, but the rewards are high. If you play well in the Canadian market, you are a God forever. And I think he sees that. I, I think he sees the reward of when things go well, what it means and what the passion is like. He, you know, it, it's actually one of the better parts of the conversation when he talks about one of those games and the crowd started going wild for him. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like he's a big smiler, as you know, yeah. but he starts talking very intently about it and intensely about it. And you can see it's 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 very meaningful to him. So that's I think what he sees is he sees the rewards of success there if things do go well. That really appeals to him. 
Fried, you can probably relate to someone who who doesn't want to have their words parsed. Uh, I mean, you you yeah. are you're the biggest media guy in hockey. Uh, people hang on what you say. Um, one of the conversations Mike and I have had about PD in Vancouver is like, just accept that it's going to happen, right? Like, don't don't fight it. It's almost like being a politician. You know that whatever you say, the other side is going to you know, try and make it look like you made a mistake, right? It's it's not exactly the same as a politician, but with, I, uh, I, I, I sometimes think that like the, the, the personalities that thrive best in a Canadian market are the ones that are like, yeah, it's Canada. That's going to happen. Whatever. I'm going to turn my phone off and I, I can't worry about it because like I have accepted that it's going to happen. Have you gotten to that point or do you still get frustrated when like your words get parsed and you know, you're like, ah, I didn't mean that. I didn't say that, but people are saying that you did. Yeah. You know, it's, I think that's a great, a great question. I, I, I like, like I, I have a pretty thick skin, but like everyone, there are things that get to you. Um, I understand that that happens from time to time, I think what you have to do and is like the way I was, I was kind of told when I first started in the business guys was save your bullets. Um, you know, like when you get mad or get upset or you're angry about something or bothered about something, if you're bothered about it all the time, people start to tune you out. And, but if you, but if you do it only once in a while, people know, Oh, this is serious. So I try to do it that way. Um, so like, you know, like a lot of the time when things get thrown around out there, I'll generally ignore it. Although if I think I have to reach out to someone to say, Hey, just let's dial this back a bit. Like maybe the subject or the person I'm talking about, I'll do that. But I, like, I, I do think you have to understand that happens from time to time. Although, you know, not like it's like it's like everybody's personality is different. Not everyone is going to be as accepting of it as others are. So I really pick my battles. I don't get upset about it a lot anymore. Um, But and I think in this case, I think Peter Pedersen has done it to some degree because I know like he was around not me the next day, but he was around some of our crew. And I think they asked him, like, do you have a problem with the way that that got out? And he said no. So I think in this particular case, he said what he wanted to say. He doesn't think it's a big deal. So I don't think he was bothered that much by the reaction. I'll tell you this. I actually get more upset when another media person does it because I, I think we should be careful. But, yeah. you know, what, well, we should what know better. Do? It's crazy now. Yeah. Yes, we should know better. Yes. We're speaking to Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman here on the Halford & Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Elliot, question in for you to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. It's from Scott. He wants to know, can you ask Elliot why he prefaces all his Canucks stories by pointing out that our fan base is a rabid bunch of dogs? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a great question. Well, you know why? Because, like, I, I know I've had my battles with the Canucks fan base, and there was one in particular I, I I never really meant it to be that way. Um, you know, I just, well, first of all, because I know that I, I know that how you guys are going to react. And I say that again with 
uh, love and respect. Like if it wasn't for fan bases like the Canucks, none of us would have jobs. So when I poke fun and say that, I I mean it respectfully. Um, but I do think that um, uh, it's not even a but. It's it's. I just think that I know I've been around long enough now to know when I put something out, how generally how people are going to react to it. And I know that the most intense reactions uh, most of the time come from Vancouver. So that's why I say that. And I say it, like I said, with love and respect. Um, Fridge, what is going on with Nylander? Boy, it's, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, I got a lot of reaction to that interview. Um, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty funny. I, like, first of all, I really do think that guy is as chill as chill gets. Like, I wish I was as chill as that guy. Um, he doesn't, what he's bothered by, he doesn't show it. Like, I had people say to me, he gets more aggravated by things than he lets on, which I think is normal. Sure. I, I don't think anybody would be surprised to say, uh, say that. But, you know, I, I think this. I, look, I think Toronto made their decision. They, they had to do what Matthews wanted. You can't, you know, you cannot box yourself into a corner with a 60-goal score. You just, you just can't. So they, they, they got the best deal out of him that they could. And I think that other than that, I think they've just said, let's wait and see how this year goes. And, um, you know, with Nylander, I, I think they had negotiations. I don't think they were ever close. Um, I think, you know, Nylander, like Pedersen, is prepared to wait and see how this goes. Um, but I, like I said to him in the end, like there's been reports he wants $10 million a year. Uh, I haven't reported that, but... Uh, you know, I, I, but what I have reported is that I do believe that he, him and his circle are along the lines of, if no one else is going to take a haircut, I'm not going to take a haircut. Right. And I do think that that's a thing. And, um, I think the Maple Leafs just decided that they're going, I think they looked at trading him. I don't think they liked what was out there. I mean, he did score 40 goals last year. He's a really talented guy. And in the playoffs, he was involved in a couple of their really successful moments against Tampa Bay. I think they know that and recognize that. They didn't like what was out there. And we'll see. I, I think that the Maple Leafs, like if you look at it, there's a lot of contracts up after this year. Some of the guys they brought in, Domi, Klingberg, Bertuzzi, but also Nylander, Marner can extend next summer. Like Tavares is going to be a year away next summer. Like they could go in a lot of different directions. And I think that's what this year is going to be about. So I think that's where that is. Yeah, there's, it's always, it's always interesting when it's a year away from unrestricted free agency. And the one team that has kind of confused me this offseason, because I thought they might have been a little bit more active, was the Calgary Flames. They've got all these yeah. pending UFAs, and there was kind of a message sent from the organization, like, we're not going to have another Johnny Gaudreau situation. We're not going to do that again. Yeah. Well, then, uh, what's happening to all the guys that are pending UFAs that potentially could 
uh, be a Johnny Gaudreau situation. Elias Lindholm, Michael Michael Backlund, Noah Hannafin, you know, Nikita Zadorov, I guess to a lesser extent Christopher Tanev, although he's a little bit older. Like, what's going on with those guys? Well, I, I think that first of all, they they said they were they were going to make two decisions first, and the two decisions first were Hannafin and uh, Lindholm. Now Hannafin has made his decision. Uh, he's he's indicated he's not going to sign with them, and I think his preference is to go to the states. Lindholm, uh, I think they were talking. I think they kind of. Um, I initially thought it was going to be around Horvat's number eight and a half. I think now it's going to be higher than that. Um, but I think they were willing to give Lindholm the summer to think about it. So I think that once we get back to camp, I think they talked to Colorado about Backland. You know, Colorado went out and they got centers. They got Johansson and they got Colton. I think prior to that, they were talking to the Flames about Backland. Um, but, um, you know, I think once they get back, they'll have a better idea on Lindholm. And then I think some of this will start to figure itself out. I, I, I think the other thing is, I don't know if you heard the interview with Rasmus Anderson on the pod, and he was really good. I, I think that uh, one of the things, and, and, and I visited with Markstrom in, in Sweden, and, and one of the things I think those guys are talking about is, forget about last year, let's just play. Let's show up ready to play. And I think that last year there was a lot of noise, and I think the players are demanding that there be no noise. And so uh, I think Lindholm, once we get back, we kind of figure out where he is and we go from there. Fridge, you're the best, bud. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. No worries, guys. Uh, have a great last week of uh, official summer. And uh, I know uh, I-, I know there'll be lots to talk about this season, so I'm sure this isn't going to be the last time. Thanks. Enjoy your corporate day today, Fridge. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So we're going to have to wait a while, I guess, for that uh, for that PD interview in full. To yeah, air. I was a little bit surprised that it would come out on day one. Yeah, because it's... Uh, day one of the season, he, yeah. he suggested. Yeah, because it's uh, August right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, uh, and, and, and the season starts <laughs> in October. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta do some checking on that. Just bear with me. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah, expecting let's... to dry out these storylines for a very long time. I'm like, they can, they they, they yell at Halford and Bruff for talking about this on end. I mean, what are we gonna do? We can't even see the whole interview for another month and a half. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Seven o'clock on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your 
nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Last Sunday, our next guest shocked the track and field world with his gold medal medal performance in the men's hammer throw at the World Athletic Championships from Hungary. That same person joins us now. We're excited to have him on the program. From Nanaimo, Ethan Katzberg here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Ethan. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? We're good. One, thanks for taking the time to do this. And two, congrats on this accomplishment. It is wild what you've done here. For the listeners that don't know, uh, we are talking to the youngest ever men's hammer throw world champion. It's an impressive feat, Ethan. Um, I guess, first off, just explain to us uh, how unlikely this was maybe for you and maybe within the field of the hammer throw that at 21, uh, you go to the Worlds, you post a personal best, and you walk away as the youngest ever men's hammer throw champion. Um, Yeah, it definitely – I don't know if I fully expected it. Um, I knew I was in good shape for the competition. Um. But uh, it, it definitely came as a bit of a shock to me. Obviously, a, a pleasant surprise, um, but it, <laughs> uh, definitely a bit of a shock. Um, you Prior to this World Championships, you'd never thrown over 80 meters. And then in <laughs> capturing gold, you threw it 81.25 meters. So not only did you establish a personal best, that was the one that won the whole thing. What changed for you in Budapest that allowed you to throw that distance for the first time ever? Um, yeah, I just, I think that, uh, me and my coach Dylan Armstrong had a, a really, really good, um, training camp prior to the, uh, the event. I think he, he, uh, prepared me really well for the competition and kind of just, um, you know, set me, set me on a, on a path and I just, you know, went straight, straight at the goal. Um, and I think, uh, I was just able to get some really good training in and then, um, and then was able to show that in the competition. When you threw 81 to 5, did you know right away when it left your hand? You're like, ooh, this is something special? Yeah, I, I definitely knew it was far. I mean, I mean, my first, I had three throws that were almost all over 80 meters um, before I threw it. And then I had one fault that was just um, outside of the sector. And it was, it was still over 80 meters. So I knew, I, knew I, 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 I just needed a little more to have a bit of a better throw. And, um, and that 81.25. I, I put the put the little extra zip on the end, right? And um, I, I, so I, I knew I knew it was pretty pretty decent. We're speaking to Ethan Katzberg of Nanaimo, uh, the youngest ever men's hammer throw world champion here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, Ethan, let's go back a little bit here to your origins with the hammer. How did you get into this in the first place? Yeah, so so. Um, my sister originally threw hammer throw in high school and my, my dad was coaching her at the time. Um, and I, I started coming out to a few practices. I uh, thought it looked, thought it looked interesting and fun. And, um, I, I picked it up and then, um, in, uh, my grade 12 year of high school, Dylan Armstrong reached out to me and wanted me to come train up in uh Kamloops from Nanaimo. Um, and then I started doing that and, uh, took off from there. What is it about the hammer throw? that you loved and became, I guess, obsessed with? Uh, yeah, I, I've done almost every event in track and field. So I, I kind of have 
I don't know. I, I, um, I enjoyed everything, but hammer throw just kind of, um, really stuck out to me. It's a very technical event and I think I, I enjoyed that part of it. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, I, I love the sport and, um, hammer throw is just, uh, felt special to me. What are some of the fundamentals of hammer throw? Like, like, like talk to us. Like we know nothing about the hammer throw because, uh, Ethan, we know nothing about the hammer throw. Andy, our producer thought you were actually throwing hammers. Like for real. That's a, yeah, that's common, uh, mistake but no, it's totally fair i mean i mean so you don't super super popular but i mean it's yeah it's just a, a shot put on a on a wire with a handle right and um um yeah you just kind of use the momentum of of a spin to uh to kind of you know get the uh get the ball going a 16 pound ball um and you kind of use your momentum just to uh to launch it as far as you can out of your hands um and you do four spins in a in a in a six foot circle um and then let go and you know see how far it goes so your release has to be really well timed have you ever like in your practices have you ever been like oh i threw that backwards whoops i that went in the parking lot <laughs> um yeah there's definitely been uh times i've probably thrown every direction in the 360 degree circle <laughs> you know like it, sometimes it just doesn't go your way um i've been doing this for i think seven years now so i mean there's definitely um some time in required to uh to get that thing going straight out of the center what part of your body has to be really strong to be successful at the hammer throw uh there's three big ones uh, core back and abs mm-hmm. or yeah core core back and shoulders sorry core and abs are the same thing um yeah core back and shoulders so um like how much of your day is spent in the gym just getting stronger um yeah lots of it i'll do i'll do two training sessions a day um with some rest days in there but but um the two sessions they are each about two two and a half hours long um and about an hour and a half of that are in the gym and then twice a day so um Right. So, so what's next for you? Uh, obviously, the Olympics are looming large. What is your warm up to get to the Olympics? So, because you're gonna have a lot of you're gonna have a lot of pressure on you now. We expect now golds at the hammer <laughs> hammer throw in in men's and women's in in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I just um, yeah, definitely Paris is the uh, the major goal, and I'll be preparing for that um, from now until until then. Um, the the most uh, the next thing on the list is uh, the Pan American Games in November. Um, but then, yeah, after that, it's uh, it's uh, the Olympics, um, and I'll just be yeah getting ready for that. So, what's it like getting all this attention? It's definitely different. Um, I'm not used to it, uh, but it's uh, I think it's great. Uh, I think it's great to um, kind of shine some light on the sport, and it's uh, yeah, it's been an exciting uh, week and a half. Have your buddies from like high school been like, "Hey man, I knew you were doing the hammer toss. I didn't know you were the best in the world at it, though." I think they might have been a bit shocked. I think everyone was a little shocked, but that's that's totally reasonable. Um, um, yeah, but it's uh, you know it's been a great experience, and uh, everyone's super super excited. 
Well, uh, Ethan, we want to thank you for taking the time to do this today. When we heard about the story and now that Canada, more specifically British Columbia, is a, is a throwing province, we were like, we got to get Ethan on the show. I wish you the best of luck with everything. Uh, it's an amazing accomplishment. You should be super proud of it. And once again, thanks for doing this today. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. That's uh, Ethan Katzberg here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, the youngest ever men's hammer throw world champion and uh is a pretty cool gig because it's, it's a job i mean it's yeah, yeah, yeah so like this summer alone he's gone to norway for a meet france and then he was back in canada for a couple meets and then off to the worlds in hungary like i think, I think the worst things to do at 21 than i was for, disappointed travel the world and throw some hammers God, someone's texting and so mad like ask him about his physique yeah, height, what, size, natural strength yeah he's four foot two <laughs> he's a tall guy he's tall he's like six six Okay. You didn't so ask. Does him, that answer your question? There was a burning question I had, which we didn't get to ask. And I well, wish you, you would have asked him. I, I didn't want to interrupt. You guys were doing so well. Um, <laughs> um, how far could you toss a normal hammer if you really tried? Like, what, <laughs> what is the furthest you could toss? You're obsessed I, with this. I want to know. I mean, because like what he tosses is really big and strong and powerful, and he can throw pretty far. So, how far do you think? Like a length of a football field? Like, what are we talking about here? How far could you toss a normal hammer? Like a. Carpenter's hammer, just normal. Like one how of, far could you toss a carpenter's hammer? It's just a normal, just <laughs> but a, norm, a, a normal com- hammer. But it would be a completely different motion. I know, but I just want to know how far I would go. You, you should just have asked nor- him. I didn't want to do that. Yeah, it's probably good that you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's no dumb questions in an interview like that. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to know. Oh, it's yeah. gonna be awesome to watch watch him. Like I, I honestly, the, the, it's a pretty the cool Olympi- story. The Olympics, you know, the the sure we've we followed um, some of the track events. Because Canada's had great sprinters uh, over the years, but you know we've had a few decathletes or whatever. But I can never remember an athlete, especially one locally, with this good a story. Um, where I'm be like, all right, well, I got to make some time to watch the hammer throw, I guess. Uh, it just kind of well because when you do the backstory and research, and he alluded to it that uh, a lot of people were caught off guard by this, uh, Ethan. Katzberg was not expected to go into Hungary and no. even medal. Yeah, 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 he was looking at. Now he did throw a personal best, but he like they pointed out like you need to break eighty meters basically to be in medal contention with. Uh, and he, it's funny because the guys that he beat were his sort of like I, I apologize ahead of time for saying this. His hammer heroes, mm-hmm. right? they were the guys that he looked up to. We're all his competitors because he was so young, and then he went out there and not only threw a personal best, but everyone was like, oh. Like now we have to worry about this guy on on the hammer scene, right? Yeah, for the yeah. rest of time because he's only twenty one years old. Mm-hmm. No one ever does it at this age. It's a pretty it's a pretty impressive story. It's pretty cool. Um, other stories over the weekend. Um, actually, you know what? Let's go. Let's go and talk a little bit more about the interview with Freege. Sure. Um, what did you make of what he said about Petey? Like, are we all confirmed now? Is, it, are, is are we all confirmed right now that Petey's future in Vancouver? is very much tied to how the Canucks fare this season. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Does anyone out there who's listening, please text in to the Dunbar Lumber text line. I just want to get everyone on board with this because there are some people that seemed almost scared to admit it or like the, this is a media ploy that we're just using this as part of our narrative. That, he, he air quoted that. Oh, know, puts like, the, a lot of pressure on the team now. Narrative that, uh, that, that if the Canucks don't perform well, that, PD's gone. Yeah. Right? There's too much pressure on the team. But that's what it is. Too people, much pressure. People don't want to understand. They don't want to accept the fact that there is this added pressure now 
as if there wasn't enough pressure already. Now there's this additional wrinkle that, oh, by the way, if you don't perform well this year, your best player may not resign. Okay, exactly. That's kind of a big deal. Like, isn't that? And and, (laughs) And some people probably just would be like, I don't want to hear it. But (laughs) don't want to picture this. But do people, let's embrace it. Like, that's fun. It stresses me out, man. Okay, well, take an Ativan, right? Like, and enjoy the season (laughs) because, you know, just, I mean, this is the reality, right? And for me, I think it's a great test for the organization. Can you deal with the pressure? And that goes from the top down, from management to the coaching staff. Uh, to the players, to the new players. Like, let's see how you deal with the pressure. Because not only do you have a frustrated fan base that wants to get back to the playoffs, Mm. you now have a player that's like, well, if I hold up my end of the bargain and I play well, and I think we can all agree that Petey played very well last season, but there are other other parts of the organization that are not keeping up with that standard, then... You know, do you? I, I wouldn't blame them. I'd be like, I, you know, these are the prime years of my of my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I really want to commit to this organization going forward? Why don't we all, as a fan base, just embrace this and be like, let's see how you guys do? Because if they fail at it, then it's an easier conclusion to make. Like, all right, we need to make some major changes. Then mm-hmm. I, I'll say this: Fridge made a point on I don't know three separate occasions in that interview. To say that, you know, and Pedersen doesn't think this is a big deal. And Pedersen doesn't think this is a big deal. And I'll say, to that point, um, I'll mention a story that we talked about last Friday. And it was kind of buried because we were doing a lot of different things. But Giannis Antetokounmpo did an interview with the New York Times in which he much more candidly, (laughs) much more definitively stated that he wasn't sure he was going to stay in Milwaukee and that he definitely wasn't going to if the organization didn't win and was as dedicated to winning as he was. And it, I mean, he put that out there in no uncertain terms. Yeah. I don't even need to read the quote. Go look it up. Google Giannis. It's everywhere. And all due respect to Petey, but Giannis is better and more important to basketball than PD is in the context of the NHL. Giannis is an MVP. He's a champion. He's a that's a big deal. That is a that is a star player. Really, just framing it in the context of hey, I'm great. I sacrifice to be great. And if the guys around me and the organization can't get to my level, then I don't want to be here. Mm. And you just put it out there. And it's funny how the context is so fundamentally different. A lot of this has to do with the NBA versus the NHL and hockey versus basketball, quite frankly, where PD is in his career as Giannis. But like, there's a lot of different ways that you can take this. Like if it doesn't go well for the Canucks and Pedersen this year, hypothetically speaking, then maybe both parties are like, maybe we aren't meant to be together long-term. Uh, Jay from Delta texts in, I don't think you guys are pushing a narrative personally. Yeah. I think a bit of it depends on the Canucks and how they play, but I think he's just waiting on the cap to go up and get as much money as he can. I think that's the main reason. That might be one of those things where you're kind of like, well, both things can be true, mm-hmm. right? He's going to wait a little bit, see that the cap definitely does go up. You never know how a season goes economically. Who knows what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. The economy seems a little bit uncertain right now. That's true. So let's say the cap goes up, then he, yeah, he's in a better position. He doesn't want to negotiate a long-term contract that looks stupid, Two years later, you're like, why did you sign that? Yeah. That was dumb. 
right? So there is an element of that. So I think it's one of those things where he's like, yeah, like why why would I? Why would I do that? There there are more now. There are reasons to sign right now, and that is the risk factor of not having a long term contract, mm-hmm. not having that guarantee. It's not guaranteed yet for Petey, uh, but he's pretty confident in himself. Um, but I I just think. I just think as a Canucks fan base, just be honest with yourself. The start of the season, and by extension this season, is going to be really pressure-filled. So embrace the pressure. It's like it's like I, we can call our, our little playoffs, right? We don't get real playoffs, mm-hmm. but making the playoffs is going to be our little playoffs. Or just having a good season. In in. It honestly might be enough for Petey re- to re-sign if the whole season isn't a disaster, right? Like, like let's up the bar from disaster to not a disaster. Mm-hmm. Did you make the playoffs? No, but the season wasn't a disaster. Yeah, but it's going to, I mean, the, I think the other part of this, and Fridge also alluded to this in the interview that you just had with us. By the way, uh, Hour One podcast available for download now if you want to hear. Um, Fridge is hit on Sportsnet 650 with Halford and Brupp. Uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. He mentioned it on a couple of occasions that it seems as though that Petey realizes that part and parcel now is Canucks good mm-hmm. means Petey good. Like yeah. those two, and last year was a bit of an anomaly because Petey good, Canucks bad, right? Like he had a good season, but he had a good season statistically. Obviously, they're going to be asking for more because. They can't do a lot. You can't replicate last year. Like, it's like, it's great that you had a hundred plus points. So that's fantastic. But we're going to need you to elevate too. And we've talked about this a billion times. The highest of highs. Yeah. You need to be able to compete with McDavid and you need to be able to compete with Eichel and you need to be able to do maybe not all the things that McDavid does because those are otherworldly and superhuman, but you need to be able to play at that level because that's the bar to get out of the division. That's the bar to get anywhere in the playoffs. Yeah. That's where it's at. If you're going to be the top center on the team, that's your competition. It's Edmonton. It's L.A. It's Vegas within the division. And that is tough. That is tough when you're playing the center position. I want to read Which is f- why he's got these like own special lunches, which for yeah. you seems enamored with the lunch thing. Well, he, I, the I, chef I think and- it just shows that he's like focused and targeted in on what he needs to do. And I think he's concluded that he needs to get a little bit stronger. I'm sure that's a big think, part of it. I don't it. think he's going to show up. He's like 6'2", 240, right? Like, it's not going to be like that. He's never going to be... 6'3", big... 215, like Trump? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, he looks great. Svelte. Brandon in, Brandon in Vancouver, considering how poorly this organization has been run the past decade, I don't blame him for being very hesitant on signing his prime away with this team. Absolutely. We've had this conversation on the show. Loyalty is fine. Blind loyalty is dumb. Right? Don't be blindly loyal to your organization. It's a two-way right. street, especially That's when what you're fans a, do. Especially Don't be a when fan. you're especially when you're a star player. I love this text, and I'm sorry if you're a loyal listener, but I can make fun of you. Uh, what team has 11 million to sign Petey if he decides to leave Vancouver? Unless they trade him, he might be forced to stay. If money is all that matters, uh, teams will find a way. <laughs> Yeah, to open up cap space. He had 100 points last year. For Elias Pettersson. They'll be like, "Uh, you, (laughs) the Nate Schmidt of the team, you're Mm -hmm. gone. There's lots of guys like that. They're very, very, (laughs) very easy to get rid of if you need to get rid of them. But I appreciate you texting in. If you're not paying attention to what Canada is doing at the 2023 FIBA World Cup, reverse that. 
Start paying attention. I'll give you the primer. In the opening game, they blew out France, one of the top teams in the world. Beat them by 30 points. In their second game, Canada blew out Lebanon. They are now 2-0 in the group. They have advanced to the next round. And with a win against Latvia on Tuesday, they'll go a perfect 3-0 in the group, win the group, and carry that over to the next round. So start paying attention to this. For more on Team Canada from the World Cup, Sportsnet's Arash Madani joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Arash. How are you? Good evening from Jakarta. 10 o'clock local time here, guys. How is Jakarta? Jakarta is wild. Um, A lot of traffic, a lot of heat, a lot of humidity, a lot of scooters, a lot of motorcycles, um, a lot of street food, and a lot of basketball fans. Um, It's 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 been a trip. Like this is the we're the group phase of the World Cup. So from after two weeks here, it's on to Manila. As long as Canada. Rolling the Philippines, as long as Canada lives up to its end of the bargain. And as you just outlined, they're kind of doing that. Yeah, I mean, this has been an amazing start for the Canadians at the tournament. Could this tournament have started any better for Team Canada? No. I mean, you know, plus 85-point differential in the first two games, um, embarrassing a world power like France, and basically you know, between Canada and Latvia, knocking them out of the tournament. Um, they're relatively healthy. Lou Dortzel banged up, didn't um, play yesterday, and didn't do a whole lot of practice today. But they're, um, they look good. They look really good. And I think the biggest takeaway from all of this, guys, is that all the team, like all the ghosts of Team Canada past feel like they're going to get exorcised over the next few days like Mm -hmm. this is this is not your older sister's team canada this is not your parents team canada this is a different national team altogether what do you chalk that up to talent (laughs) like we're we're better than we've we've ever been like it's the best national team our country's ever produced I mean, there, there's there's no other way of putting it. Um, you know, nobody thinks about Shea Gilgis Alexander as a superstar. I think there are a lot of Canadians who have no idea who he is. He's all first team NBA. He's literally a top five player in the world. There's only been one other Canadian who's been a first team all NBA. You guys know who that is? The dude from Victoria with the long hair yeah. went to Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, you have him, you have R.J. Barrett, who's really finding his way in the NBA with the Knicks, first-round pick. Yeah, you know, I can can go through the roster. But the other thing is, these dudes came up together. You know, Dylan Brooks, who is a villain in the NBA, does all the little things, all the little details, hounding players on defense. And the point um, that Shea made today was he said, ultimately, we just all want to win. And he said, when, you, when it comes down to that, you do certain things, things to try and accomplish that goal. And I said, what are those things? And he basically said, what you'd expect, just doing things for each other, sacrificing on and off the court. So when you have buy-in, when you have dudes who care about one another, when you have dudes who are willing to put the team ahead of themselves, and when you have a whole pile of talent, um, it's a pretty good formula. 
I do want to ask one thing about Shea Gilgis Alexander, though. Uh, all due respect to Luka Doncic, but is Shea the best player in this tournament? No, <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, but he's uh, it's a photo finish at the line. How yeah. about that? No, fair the enough. Jump ball, possession arrow, still goes to the Slovenian. Um, now if Shea is close. So, so I'm, here's my greedy question: um, Could Canada win yeah. this thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, whew, they're right there with the States. Like this, you know, LeBron's not here. Steph's not here. Um, it's not their, it's not the United States' best team. But, you know, a lot of things are breaking in their favor too now, guys. You know, in the micro tomorrow, they play Latvia for a chance to win the group. Christoph Porzingis is injured. Um, and obviously he's not playing. And then Latvia's captain went down the second quarter yesterday. He's out for five, six weeks. His tournament's done. So suddenly things are now kind of happening that way. Um, they're going to have to face Spain in the next round. Spain is a shell of what it used to be. You know, Marc Gasol's not walking through that door. Pau Gasol's not walking through that door. Uh, Calderon, Rubio, they're, they're not around anymore. So a lot of things are happening right now that are advantage Canada. And then, you know, from there, you're going to see what they're made of. And I just, I just am really impressed with the makeup of the dudes on this team and how they go about it. Um, a lot of people have been wondering about the absence of Jamal Murray, and I don't think anyone's going so far as to say, like, it's better without him. But has it simplified things at all for them in that uh, SGA is the man and there's no disputing that? I don't think it matters. I really like Here's the interesting thing about FIBA, guys. It's the opposite of the NBA. Um, the three-point line is is shorter. There's five fouls, not six. There's no TV timeouts. Um, it's physical as all hell. Mm -hmm. It's designed where a superstar really, for the most part, can't take over. Um, look, if you have Jamal and Shane in your backcourt, um, <laughs> that'd be, that'd be incredible. And, you know, I guess ultimately the hope is that Canada is going to have that next summer at the Olympics. Um, it's funny how it goes. Like this World Cup, on most of the planet, it's a huge deal. In North America, it's all about the Olympics. Um, so people get offended when you call this event an Olympic qualifier, <laughs> even though for a lot of people in North America, that's exactly what it is. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.